This is the Music Halls of Fame podcast. This week, we honor the year in music for 1995, along with a member of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame class of 1995. We also look at the case for putting Ted Nugent into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Plus, our Spotlight Hall of Fame is the Grammy Museum Hall of Fame in Los Angeles, California. Before we get going with the podcast, like everyone tells you, please like, subscribe, and hit the notification bell so you'll know when these podcast episodes drop, which is usually every Thursday. Now, on to this week's episode. The year was 1995. In Music for the Year, the Beatles Anthology TV documentary aired, along with the premiere of their first song in over 20 years called Free as a Bird. Michael Jackson released what became the biggest-selling double album of all time worldwide, History. Alan Wilder left Depeche Mode, singer Robbie Williams left the boy band Take That, and girls, now probably your parents and grandparents, lost their ever-loving minds. Alanis Morissette's Jagged Little Pill was the biggest selling album of 1995. Other big albums released in 1995 included Mariah Carey's Daydream, Queen's Made in Heaven, Shania Twain's Is the Woman in Me, No Doubt's Tragic Kingdom, Jewel's Pieces of You, The Waiting to Exhale soundtrack, Bruce Springsteen's Greatest Hits, Radiohead's The Bends, Oasis's What's the Story, Morning Glory, Tupac's Me Against the World, Bjork's Post, The Smashing Pumpkins' Melancholy, and The Infinite Sadness. Coolio's Gangster's Paradise was the best-selling song of the year, followed by TLC's Waterfalls and also Creep, Seal's Kiss from a Rose, Boys to Men's On Bended Knee, Real McCoy's Another Night, Mariah Carey's Fantasy, Madonna's Take a Bow, Monica's Don't Take It Personal, and Montel Jordan's This Is How We Do It. In country music, the Great American Country Video Music Channel launched in 1995. The top artists in country music were Tim McGraw, Faith Hill, Aaron Tippin, Clint Black, Trisha Yearwood, Garth Brooks, John Michael Montgomery, Clay Walker, Shania Twain, Alan Jackson, and George Strait. In hip-hop, Coolio dominated the year with Gangster's Paradise. Notorious B.I.G. had the songs One More Chance and Big Papa. LL Cool J had Hey Lover. Looney's had I Got Five on it. Tupac had Dear Mama. Dr. Dre had Keep the Heads Ringing with Ice Cube. Method Man and Red Man had How High. Junior Mafia had Player's Anthem. And DeBrat had Give It To Ya. In dance music, the usual batch of pop dance and R&B crossover artists made the dance charts with TLC, Madonna, and Michael Jackson. Hip-hop was also huge on the dance charts that year with Notorious B.I.G., Funkmaster Flex, Junior Mafia, Naughty by Nature, and Method Man. However, there were some more quote-unquote legit dance artists on the charts. Though it was mainly Euro dance artists like London Beat, 20 Fingers, 2 Unlimited, Black Box, Corona, Rue McCoy, M People, Jamiroquai, 
Crystal Waters, Living Joy, and LaBouche. Music Magazine started in 1995. The Chemical Brothers debuted with their album Exit Planet Dust. Classic tracks from that year included Underworld's Born Slippy, The Bucketheads, The Bomb, These Thoughts Fall Into My Mind, and Todd Terry's 1995 remix of Everything But The Girls' 1994 ballad, Missing, which catapulted up both the dance and pop charts that year. In Latin music, the year was sadly about the loss of Tejano star, superstar I should say, Selena, who had six of the top ten Latin albums after her murder and four of the top ten singles when she was actually murdered by her own fan club manager. Other Latin artists who had big albums and singles that year included the Gypsy Kings, Luis Miguel, Gloria Estefan, Bronco, Marco Antonio Solis, and Los Bucas, Pedro Fernandez, and La Lana. In theater, Victor Victoria opened on Broadway. There were Broadway revivals of Hello, Dolly! and How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying, while the musical Dracula opened in Prague. Musical films in 1995 included the animated Arabian Night and Pocahontas, along with Bye Bye Birdie, Empire Records, and The Show. Groups that formed in 1995 included the Black Eyed Peas, the Bacon Brothers, Buck Cherry, Capone and Noriega, Damage, Fountains of Wayne, Hoover Phonic, Godsmack, Stained, Kevin Eubanks and the Tonight Show Band, Evanescence, Groove Theory, Keen, LFO, Lifehouse, InSync, Propellerheads, Morchiba, and Tegan and Sarah. Groups that either broke up until their inevitable reunions, of course, or announced their hiatus included Oingo Boingo, Two in a Room, Aztec Camera, Black Sheep, General Public, Pink Floyd, Bronski Beat, The Jerry Garcia Band, The Cult, Accept, Skinny Puppy, Diggable Planets, Living Color, The Lynch Mob, Suicidal Tendencies, Sunny Day Real Estate, and The Soup Dragons. Bands that got back together in 1995 included Journey, The Misfits, and Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band, who did a reunion tour in 1995, but officially got back together in 1999. Artists who were born in 1995 included singer and composer Poppy, V, and Jameen of BTS, Megan the Stallion, Doja Cat, Melanie Martinez, Tae Young and Yuta Nakamoto of NCT, Lil Uzi Vert, Dua Lipa, Givian, Ross Lynch of R5, Post Malone, Queen Nija, Troy Sivan, Jisoo Kim of Blackpink, A Boogie with the Hoodie, Michael Clifford of Five Seconds of Summer, Kehlani, and rapper Joey Badass. Lead singer Shannon Hoon of the alternative band Blind Melon passed away from a drug overdose. The aforementioned Tejano superstar Selena was shot and killed by her fan club president. Grateful Dead lead singer Jerry Garcia passed away. And other musical artists who passed away included Melvin Franklin of The Temptations, Rory Gallagher, rapper Easy e of N.W.A. who passed away from AIDS. Bobby DeBarge of Switch, Ronnie White of The Miracles, 
Dwayne Gotell of Skinny Puppy, Sterling Morrison of the Velvet Underground, jazz trumpet player Don Cherry, Jerry Daniels of the Ink Spots, Matthew Ashman of Adam and the Ants, and also of the group Bow Wow Wow, entertainer Dean Martin, Motown artist Junior Walker, Jimmy McShane of Baltimore, Roland Wolf of Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, singer and actor Burl Ives, dancer and singer Ginger Rogers, singer Teresa Tang, singer Charlie Rich, singer Phyllis Hyman, singer Lola Flores, jazz drummer Art Taylor, David Cole of CNC Music Factory and also Clavillis and Cole, blues singer Ted Hawkins, Bob Stinson of The Replacements, disc jockey Wolfman Jack, singer Alan McCarthy of Men Without Hats, Darren Robinson, a.k.a. The Human Beatbox from The Fat Boys, Yardbirds manager Peter Grant, and singer Nike Ardia. In award ceremonies that were held for the music of 1995, Alanis's Jagged Little Pill won Album of the Year at the Grammy Awards. Also at the Grammy, Seals' Kiss from a Rose won Record and Song of the Year, while Hootie and the Blowfish won Best New Artist. At the MTV Video Music Awards, TLC won Video of the Year for Waterfalls. TLC also won Artist of the Year at the Billboard Music Awards. Mary J. Blige, TLC, D'Angelo, and Notorious B.I.G. were the big winners at the Soul Train Music Awards. Garth Brooks was Artist of the Year at the American Music Awards. Reba McIntyre, Garth Brooks, and Hootie and the Blowfish were the music category winners at the People's Choice Awards for that year. At the Eurovision Singing Contest, which was held in Dublin, Ireland, Secret Garden from the country of Norway won for the song Nocturne. Alan Jackson won Entertainer of the Year at the Country Music Association Awards, while Brooks and Dunn won Entertainer of the Year at the Academy of Country Music Awards. Oasis won Best British Album for their iconic album, What's the Story, Morning Glory, while Take That won Best Song for Back for Good at the Brit Awards. Alanis Morissette won Album of the Year for Jagged Little Pill and Song of the Year for You Oughta Know, while Shania Twain won Entertainer of the Year at the Juno Awards. Tina Arena won Album of the Year for Don't Ask and also Song of the Year for Chains at the Aria Music Awards. At the Tony Awards, Sunset Boulevard won Best Musical and Showboat won Best Revival of a Musical. The Pulitzer Prize for Music went to Morton Gould for String Music, which actually premiered in 1994 but got the prize in 1995. Musically, at the Academy Awards, Il Postino won Best Film Score and Alan Menken won Best Song for Colors of the Wind from Disney's Pocahontas. Portishead's album Dummy won the Mercury Music Prize that year. The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame opened its physical museum in Cleveland, Ohio in 1995, and that year's ceremony was, as was its usual at that time, held on January 12th at the Waldorf Astoria Hotel in New York City and not in Cleveland. After years of having very few video cameras recording the event, MTV recorded it for an edited showing on its network the week after the ceremony. At the induction ceremony, music journalist Paul Ackerman was inducted into the non-performers category. The Orioles were inducted into the early influencers category. 
In the performers category, the Hall inducted the Allman Brothers Band, Frank Zappa, Martha and the Vandellas, Janis Joplin, Neil Young, the Reverend Now Green, and this next group. In 1968, the Yardbirds were on their last legs. The group played what they thought was their last gig in July of that year, but then they realized that they still had a few concerts that they were contractually obligated to play in Sweden, Switzerland, Denmark, and the Netherlands. Half of the band was already on to other projects, so they authorized the remaining members to get new members, but to use the name the Yardbirds when performing. Guitarist Jimmy Page and bassist Chris Dreja went looking for a lead singer and found one in Terry Reed. He said no, though, and said to try a guy by the name of Robert Plant. Plant said yes, and since the group still needed a drummer, Plant brought in his friend John Bonham on board, and then Dreja decided to quit to become a photographer another Pete Best Award winner for leaving a band before it became popular. Dreja would pop up later in the band story in a not-so-good way, though. Bassist John Paul Jones came to them and asked to join up, so with that lineup at hand, they went off and did the final gigs as the New Yardbirds. Once they were done playing their original gigs, they decided to keep going as a group and record an album together. They recorded and mixed the album at Olympic Studios in London, England in October of 1968. The reason why it didn't take them too long to record, according to Page, was that most of the songs had already been tested and rehearsed during the tour of Scandinavia. Page covered the cost of the studio, which may be yet another reason why it only took 36 hours of studio time to record, because time is money, and when it's your money, you are moving at lightning-fast speed. Then, with the album in hand, they went shopping for a record deal. They had the upper hand in negotiations and knew it. They had already recorded the album themselves, so in effect, they owned it. They negotiated a sweetheart of a deal with Atlantic Records, which gave them copyright control and also control over every aspect of the publicity. Very, very smart businessmen, these guys were. They released the album on January 12, 1969 to not-so-good reviews, much like most albums that become classics. Also like most classics, it didn't matter what the critics said about the album to the public. The public loved it. It became a huge hit. The critics would eventually come around. In fact, Rolling Stone magazine, who originally hated the album, eventually made it their 29th greatest album of all time. There was just one itsy-bitsy little problem. The band's name. They were going to go out on tour with the name The New Yardbirds, but received a cease and desist order from another member, Chris Dreja. Told you he'd be back. The band would get their new name, according to whichever legend you want to go with, from either Bob Dylan or the members of The Who or whoever at that time, who said that the band would go over, quote, like a Led Zeppelin. Well, that was wrong. 
The album would go on to sell over 10 million copies and go top 10 in five countries, including America. The album that had the now classic hits Good Times, Bad Times, Babe, I'm Gonna Leave You, Dazed and Confused, I Can't Quit You Baby, and Communication Breakdown was called Led Zeppelin 1. Led Zeppelin 2 was heavier and, according to the band, was when the group really started playing well. The mastermind behind the album this time was, as was the last time, Jimmy Page. He made sure that everything stayed on track. The album was written and recorded while the band was on tour between April and August of 1969. Robert Plant, in retrospect, wasn't too thrilled with that due to some of the recording studios that they were forced to record in while on tour. The album was released on October 22nd of that year. The only officially released song from the album was the first song, Whole Lot of Love. That song, either its wailing guitar, thumping bass, Robert Plant's demanding vocals all backed up by John Bonham's masterful drumming, set the tone for the rest of the album. The one problem with the song concerned the lyrics. Some of them were actually lifted from blues great Willie Dixon's song, I Need Love. The group was sued and had to settle out of court on that one. Even though Whole Lot of Love was the only released single, other songs from the album have made the lexicon of classic radio streaming services. The Lemon Song, Ramble On, and Moby Dick all get regular rotation on the radio stations these days. And as far as the album went chart-wise, it did pretty well. Led Zeppelin II went top 10 in 11 countries and number 1 in 7 of them, including, of course, the United States. When Led Zeppelin III came out, it performed okay, but the critics again were at best lukewarm to the album, much like Led Zeppelin's 1 and 2. So for the fourth album, the group decided to not even call it Led Zeppelin IV. They simply put four symbols on the album cover. The guys decided to not do any more touring for at least a little while and to concentrate on recording. They went to the English countryside to a place called Headley Garage. They also took a mobile recording studio with them and got down to business with Jimmy Page back at the helm. The mobile recording studio was good for capturing ideas while they jammed together. Plus, there was no pub near the country studio, so they didn't have their usual distractions. The album had their customary two officially released singles. As with every Led Zeppelin album, all of the songs became hits. Black Dog was named after a black dog that used to hang around the studio and was the first single released. Rock and Roll was also released as a single and came out as one of those jam sessions that they had. The Battle of Evermore was based on the Scottish Independence Wars. Stairway to Heaven is also known as the DJ Bathroom Break song because of its length. It's also part of a lawsuit that was filed by another group named Spirit who claimed that the beginning of the song was stolen from them. Misty Mountain Hop is about cops, student protesters, and drug possession, and the title is based on J.R.R. Tolkien. Four Sticks is based on a drum pattern that John Bonham did. Going to California is about California earthquakes. And When the Levee Breaks was actually recorded first in 1929, obviously not by them.
When Led Zeppelin IV was released on November 8, 1971, it had already been delayed. The album, which was supposed to come out in April, went straight to number one in America and top ten in eight other countries. It sold over 16 million certified copies in America, making it one of the biggest selling albums of all time in America. In total, Led Zeppelin released eight studio albums and four live albums until they disbanded after the sudden death of John Bonham from alcohol intoxication in 1980. They have gotten back together on occasions, though, usually with John Bonham's son, Jason Bonham, on drums. Jason, for the record, had his own band called Bonham, who put out two albums and three hit songs between 1989 to 1992, including their biggest hit, Wait For You. Led Zeppelin got together with Phil Collins on drums to play at Live Aid in 1985. However, the band thought that the performance was so bad that if you did not catch the performance live or on MTV when it was first broadcasted, you're never gonna see it. At least not while these guys are alive. The band stopped it from being put on the official Live Aid DVD, and there weren't cell phones back in the day to capture any concert footage, so you're kind of fresh out of luck on seeing it unless somebody managed to get a bootleg at some point, which there probably is somewhere, I'm sure. It's the internet. Have fun looking. Page and Plant, by the way, have gone on to do other things, with Plant having a great solo career, including winning Album of the Year in 2007 with Alison Krauss for the album Raising Sand. Page, meanwhile, played guitar on Puff Daddy's song Come With Me, which was a rap remake of Led Zeppelin's song Cashmere for the Godzilla movie soundtrack. Let's just not really talk much about that song. It was god-awful. Anywho, John Paul Jones still plays bass on other artists' songs every now and then, so there is that. Led Zeppelin sold over 300 million records worldwide, with 101 and a half million of those being sold in America alone, and four of their albums selling over 10 million copies each in the United States. Their albums have consistently been put on many a best-of list, including the albums that I just mentioned. They have also been labeled the greatest rock and roll band of all time. Four of their albums have been put into the Grammy Museum Hall of Fame. They were inducted into the UK Music Hall of Fame in 2006, and in 1995, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame did the honors. Presented for induction by Steven Tyler and Joe Perry of Rock and Roll Hall of Fame Class of 2001 inductees Aerosmith, Robert Plant, Jimmy Page, John Paul Jones, and the late great John Bonham, Led Zeppelin, inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame class of 1995 and even though we can't put every single Led Zeppelin song onto this week's playlist we have put some of their songs onto the podcast playlist which is on YouTube Music the link is in the show notes Music 
Before we go any further, we'd like to tell you about our other podcast, the Music History Today podcast, where we go over the events, music releases, births, and passings for that day in music history. The Music History Today podcast drops each and every day, including on the weekends, on this channel, the Music History Today Network, and also on our Music History Today Network YouTube page. Now, back to the Music Halls of Fame podcast. This week, we are going to take a look at the case for putting Ted Nugent into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. A few years ago, Ted gave an interview where he said that, much like Motley Crue, he was never going to get into the hall. In Motley Crue's case, they've been told that it was because of their behavior concerning women back in the 1980s. In Ted's case, he says that it's because of his politics. Now, I'm not a guy who falls on either end of the whole woke, non-woke debate when it comes to musicians. I am a live and let live type of guy. You do you. I've also, over the years, have come to separate an artist as an artist from an artist as a human being. I have spoken about Ted's chances of being inducted a few years ago on an earlier version of this podcast, and now I am revisiting this subject, despite how I feel about this guy personally. Full disclosure, I personally think that this guy is an at, not going to swear here. I will just simply say that he's not a nice guy. He is a racist, misogynistic, far-right extremist. Promised I wouldn't swear. However, be that as it may, as an artist, does Ted have an argument for being inducted into the hall? So let's go to the tail of the tape using his solo career and not including any of the bands that he's been in, like the band Damn Yankees, who were actually a really good band back in the day. Ted has released 16 studio albums, 8 live albums, 16 compilation albums. Of those, 5 of his albums went platinum, with 4 of those going double and triple platinum. Five hit the top 20 on the album's charts, but none have actually ever hit the top 10. As far as his singles went, he released 20 of them. Of those, three hit the top 40 with his best-known songs, 1977's Cat Scratch Fever, doing the best at number 30. His other best-known songs didn't do well on the charts. 1978's Yank Me Crank Me hit number 58, and 1980's Wango Tango hit number 86. Okay, those aren't terrible stats, and artists with worse commercial success have actually gotten inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So let's look at the other criteria, which is his influence. As far as I can tell, there's been extremely few artists who have publicly said that his music influenced them. Where he can't be touched, though, is when he plays live. Because, I'll be honest, the dude can flat out own a crowd and puts on one of the best shows that I have ever seen. It is no wonder that his live albums are among those albums that have sold the double and triple platinum. 
So with a decent resume, even taking his lack of influence into account, does Ted Nugent deserve to be inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Well, kinda, yeah. In the 1970s and 80s, he was known as one of the best live guitarists out there. In the current version of Who Gets Into the Hall, he should, in a slow year at least, get in. However, he is right about his politics that they will actually keep him out, sort of. There is also this other little pesky problem that he never brings up when he rails against the hall and his politics, which are his views and alleged involvement with underage girls back in the 1970s. Just Google the whole things. I'm not going to talk about all his problems with girls here, thankfully. There have also been other artists, though, who are in the hall who also have these same rumors about them, and some of them not just rumors, some of them actual fact. However, Nugent's alleged behavior might be a reason why Ted has not actually been taken seriously for consideration, especially in this current climate. But with everything that I've said, I will say that I have completely changed my opinion from a few years ago about whether Ted Nugent deserves to get into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. See, when I first posed this question three years or so ago, I said, absolutely not, no way, no how does this guy deserve to get in. Now, I actually say, yeah, he at least deserves consideration. However, he won't get in, both for the political reasons that he said, and probably more than likely for his alleged behavior in the 1970s. Besides, the dude really is a piece of sh... Promise myself that I would not swear. However, if you would like to listen to Ted Nugent, because actually, I kind of do like his music. Actually, I really like his music. But if you want to check him out, I have put his music in this week's podcast playlist, which is in the show notes. This week's Spotlight Music Hall of Fame is the Grammy Museum Hall of Fame in Los Angeles, California. There are actually three Grammy Museums now, with one being in Newark, New Jersey, and the other in Cleveland, Mississippi, to go with the main one in L.A. The Recording Academy runs the museums, but has been inducting members into its Hall of Fame since 1974. The main Grammy Museum itself, with its Hall of Fame wing, opened in 2008 at LA Live, which is the downtown LA complex that has the Staples Center, or at least what used to be called the Staples Center, and is now named, I believe, the Crypto.com Center, because that rolls off your tongue a whole lot easier. Right. The museum has four floors, including a theater. And some of the past exhibits there have paid tribute to, among others, John Lennon, Roy Orbison, Latin singer Jenny Rivera, 
and the world of hip-hop. Plus, they have ticketed evening discussions with artists such as Debbie Gibson. Ticket prices are $18 for adults, $15 for seniors and military members with ID, $12 for college students with ID, and kids 5 through 17. Children four and under and museum members are free. Its normal hours are Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Sunday from 11 a.m. to 5 p.m., Saturday from 11 a.m. to 6 p.m., and closed on Tuesdays. However, due to the changing seasons, of course, and uh, always the tourist stuff, check with the museum's website for updated hours and pricing as things have shifted over the past year a few times. GrammyMuseum.org is its website, and as always, we will throw that link to the website in the show notes. Trumpet player Miles Davis grew up in Illinois and received his first trumpet at the age of nine. Davis went to college at the Juilliard School, which was then known as the Institute of Musical Arts in New York City, but ended up dropping out because, as he put it, they concentrated on European music. He decided to play the club scene with his mentor and friend, Charlie Parker. And it was with Charlie Parker who he developed and helped to develop the bebop style of jazz, recording what became the Birth of the Cool album. During this time, he received criticism from black musicians for having white musicians in his band, but Davis didn't care about color. He only cared about ability. Also during this time, he went off to Paris where he played in clubs and had a romance with actress and singer Juliette Grieco. When he got back from Paris, his style switched between bebop to hard bop. He also picked up a nasty drug problem, which led to what is considered his blue period. By 1955, he had gotten himself off of drugs. Numerous shifts in his music happened, and during the next 15 years, he put out what became classic jazz albums. He had Roundabout Midnight, Milestones, Kinda Blue, and Seven Steps to Heaven. Along the way, he's played with jazz greats such as John Coltrane, Herbie Hancock, Chick Corea, and Wayne Shorter. In 1969, Davis wanted to bring his music to a new generation who had grown up on Motown and James Brown. By that time, Davis had started experimenting with electronic music and wanted to take it to a whole other level. He recorded his next album over three days in August, from the 19th through the 21st, actually, at CBS Records Studio Building B in New York City. Aside from Miles, the main musicians included such jazz greats as Chick Corea, Dave Holland, Wayne Shorter, and Jack DeJohnette. Other musicians who appeared on the album included Joe Zawinul, John McLaughlin, the legendary Mr. Herbie Hancock, Larry Young, Lenny White, Don Alias, Juma Santos, Benny Maupin, and Tony Williams. A lot of the album was improvised, and the post-production was kind of interesting as well. A lot of the songs were shorter versions pieced together to make a longer song. Song lengths ranged anywhere from 4 minutes to 27 minutes. Also, there were multiple instruments playing different things at the same time. For instance, two bass players, one playing double bass and the other playing bass guitar. 
Davis also incorporated funk into these songs. Then, on March 30, 1970, the double album was released. It became an influential album of 70s funk artists such as Sly Stone and George Clinton and Parliament Funkadelic. It also influenced Radiohead on their album OK Computer and spurred interest in jazz again in the mainstream, helping to create a new style of jazz called Jazz Fusion. The album that influenced a generation of artists and genres such as funk, dance, and R&B in the 1970s was Miles Davis's aptly titled Bitches Brew. Miles would also influence all genres of music with albums like On the Corner, Miles Smiles, and Kinda Blue before passing away in 1991 at the age of 65. Miles Davis's iconic album Bitches Brew inducted into the Grammy Hall of Fame and Museum in Los Angeles, California in 1999. And we have put that album and some other Miles Davis classics onto this week's podcast playlist. The link, like I said before, is in the show notes. The Music Halls of Fame podcast is part of the Music History Today network, which can be found under Music History Today on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, or wherever you get your podcasts from, and also on our YouTube page under Music History Today. Thank you very much for listening. Music